Good day, brothers and sisters, and welcome to New Creation Realities. And we're going to go ahead and continue with our lessons. Let there be light. And today, I wanted just to uh, look at some things, kind of continue where we left off in our previous lesson uh, concerning the scriptures, concerning specifically the Old Testament, the testimony. And we're going to be looking at the purpose of the testimony today. And <clears throat> we will allow the scripture to define scripture concerning that. And just one thing that I wanted to do, uh, sorry, I'm swapping my notes back and forth. I've got some notes in two different places. Uh, I want to go ahead and ask that question that I asked uh, in our previous lesson. And and then answer it, and then just make a statement concerning a class that I had with Berea earlier. And so here's here's the, the, the question in my notes I, I have. What is the importance of the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament? Why are the scriptures, the Old Testament, important? And... So for my Berea class, what I did, I basically asked that question and I said, if anyone knows the answer or if anyone has an answer, please raise your hand and let me know. And someone raised their hand. And <clears throat> the way, and I, this, is, this is what I really loved about their response. The way they phrased their answer, the response was this, and I don't, I don't believe that they were actually thinking of I need to I need to say I need to give the response I need to give the answer in this manner. I, I don't believe that I don't believe that was uh, the the case. I don't believe that was the case or the issue with that student. I believe that I asked a question. They, based on the previous class, excuse me, previous lesson that we'd had. They, they, they believed they had the answer, but the way they, the way they phrased it was this. So I asked the question, what is the importance of the scriptures, the Old Testament? Why are the scriptures, the Old Testament, important? And so a student raised their hand, and I said, okay, let me know. And they said, this is what they said, you said... They're important because they testify of Christ. And that caught my attention. That caught my attention. Because in <clears throat> I, I realize that in sharing these things uh, that the Lord put specifically on my heart um, during these lessons, during other classes, during times of conference, uh, Bible conferences or podcasts, Believers, which are the primary primary ones who are listening and viewing these, a believer can say, oh, well, yes, well, that's what Brother Jimmy uh, says. Or that's, that's the doctrine of Brother Jimmy. Or um, yes, that's, that's the message that he keeps to. Or do you see what I'm saying? Based on that response that they had, 
you said that the scriptures testify of Christ and that's why they're important. And see, see, we do that. Well, we do that with everything. Well, brother or sister so-and-so has such message and then brother or sister so-and-so over here, they have a different message. And well, I kind of like this message over here, brother or sister so-and-so. They say this, these others say this, and this one, this group over here, they say this. And see, that is what you find with the natural mind. A myriad of different things that is being said concerning the scriptures. And yet, what makes the scriptures, the Old Testament, important? Why are the scriptures, the Old Testament, important? is that these are not my words, this is not my message, this is not my doctrine, this is not my mind. What makes the Old Testament, the Scriptures, important is that they testify of Jesus Christ. That's not my mind. We know the passage, we should have the passage pretty much memorized by now. It is John chapter 5, verse 39. And here we go. I didn't say this. Jesus himself said this. He spoke this to the Jews who were present, the Jews who were indeed searching the scriptures in hope of a Messiah, their hope for the Messiah. But they were searching the scriptures, and he says this, You search the scriptures, for in them, in the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. And they are they, the scriptures are they, that testify of me. And then the design, the purpose of the testimony, but you you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The purpose and design of the testimony is to direct and bring the heart unto the person of Christ so that the soul may find in reality, that which it seeks to find in the scriptures. Once being born again, that the heart may now find in knowledge that that which it seeks to find in the scriptures. See, these are not my words. This is not my doctrine. This is not my teaching. The importance of the scriptures, what makes the scriptures important, is that they are the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Spanish, I would say, punto final, period, the end. (laughs) And so, of course, I know that to be able to, to completely and fully acknowledge and not just agree, but wholeheartedly Submit to this right here requires a miracle of God. I know that. I cannot do that. You cannot do that. It requires a miracle of God. All right. So once again, what is the importance of the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament? And why are the scriptures, the Old Testament, important? Because they testify of Jesus Christ. That's it.
And <clears throat> so now I want to go on, but I just did want to make that um, that statement clear that it is not based. This this is not what I have said. This is not my doctrine. This is not my message. This is what our Lord has said. And my brothers and sisters, either Jesus is a liar or he's the truth. I didn't say he speaks the truth. I said he is the truth. And out from the truth proceeds the truth. The Holy Spirit will prepare the ground of our heart to the to such a degree that we are able in our heart to submit to this very thing. All right? So once again, <clears throat> why are the scriptures or what what is the importance of the scriptures that is the Old Testament? Why are the scriptures the Old Testament important? They testify of Christ. This is what our Lord has said. All right. So with keeping with that, with that statement being so, being true because it is true, the Lord himself, the truth. The scriptures then are not our handbook or our guidebook or our manual on how to live. They are not for behavior modification. And I want you I want you to understand this. All those examples, all those thoughts are for something down here on the earth below. Yes, when we take the scriptures and we try to use them as our manual, as our uh, guidebook, as our lesson book on how to live or how to behave, or as I mentioned, behavior modification, it's all for everything down here below. But brothers and sisters, we who are born again, our life is not found below. Remember what the two witnesses told the, the, the ladies there at the tomb? Why do you seek the living among the dead. He's not here. He is risen. Now, I'll ask another question. Does Christ, Jesus, need any behavior modification? Hopefully the obvious answer should be no. <laughs> Jesus does not need to do anything to be who he is. He is the, the life. In fact, he is the only life. He does not have to do anything to be who he already is. Now, this being the case, this being true, this same Jesus is the life of every born-again believer. Our life is Christ. And this is not my teaching. This is not my doctrine. Search the scriptures. I mean, you can even look at the epistles of Paul. Colossians chapter 3. Christ, who is our life. This, he is the very life of the born-again believer. We who are born again, we have a life. 
whose name is Jesus Christ, who needs, listen, no behavior modification, no instruction on how to live. The, the issue in this, in this case is that we have no clue of who our life is. So we end up trying to take the scriptures and apply it to something down here below that is not our life. Something that we can see with our natural eye, understand with the natural mind, which all of which is an unrighteous judgment. Yes, unrighteous. And so we take the scriptures and we try to apply them to the wrong man. But see, the scriptures are not to be applied to any man in that sense. The scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus did not need the scriptures to apply them to himself, to himself, excuse me. The scriptures are the testimony of he himself. All right. Let's see where we're at. The scriptures given of God are designed to direct and bring the heart unto Christ himself, period. First, at the moment of new birth, and then in the knowledge of the new birth. And of course, it is the testimony found in the scriptures. The testimony found in the scriptures. Remember, because Saul of Tarsus had the scriptures, and yet with all that he had, with all that he read, with all that he studied, with all that he learned, with all that he searched, he persecuted the body of, persecuted the body of Christ. So specifically, it is the testimony. Let me mark that down. The testimony. I need to... Testimony found in the scriptures. All right. <clears throat> now, we take the scriptures with a natural mind, with a carnal mind, and we try to apply them to the natural man. Once again, we try to apply them to the natural man, which is found down here below. But see, our natural mind, there is no light in the natural mind. Now, we obviously know that there is no light in the carnal mind. We can agree with that. Oh, carnal, well, you know, there's no light there. There's no knowledge of God there. But my brothers and sisters, the natural mind, there is no light in the natural mind at all. Because the natural mind is the mind of the first man, Adam. I'll give an example of our natural mind, of our natural senses, of our natural reasoning, of our natural judgment. See, natural judgment is based off of natural senses, what we can see with a natural eye, hear with a natural ear, understand with a natural mind, the natural brain. All right? <clears throat> so, real quick example. For you who are watching this video, question, what's the color of my chalkboard? Now, I know you can have different... Uh, uh, variations of hue, but essentially the chalkboard is green. 
that's it. Essentially, the chalkboard is green. And so you just, you just made a natural judgment based off of the natural sight. And you put all of that together with your natural mind and made a judgment. Okay? But remember, the natural mind, there is no light in the natural mind because it is based off of the natural senses. Now, <clears throat> I've used this example before. I'll use it again because it's a very good example. Beginning in probably kindergarten, maybe elementary, uh, from childhood, we are taught that one and one equals two. I mean, this is normal. If you go and you take a math test and they have one plus one, you put equals two and you get the answer correct because that's what we're taught. That is a natural understanding that the natural mind can understand, reason with, calculate, and give a natural response. And yet we know Jesus comes along and he says, I and my Father are one. Not two, no. One. This is not the natural mind. This makes no sense to the natural mind. Do you see what I'm saying? The natural mind has no light whatsoever. And so a question comes down to, what is our what mind is our heart submitted unto? We who are born again, the Apostle Paul, by the mind of Christ, says, we have the mind of Christ. We do. But what mind is our heart submitted unto? Is it truly submitted unto the mind of Christ, where there is light, the light of Christ himself, the light, is, the light that is found in his very own countenance? Or is our heart submitted unto the mind of Adam, the first man Adam, the natural man Adam, the carnal man Adam, wherein there is no light whatsoever? Another example, <clears throat> Jesus with, asks his disciple, who have already walked with him for a time, they walked with him, they talked with him, they ate with him, they, they, they slept in the same place where he slept. They were with him 24-7. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? We know the passage. We know all of the responses. Some say this, some say that, and da 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 you know. And then Jesus says to his disciples, point blank, okay, now, now you've told me what the world thinks. Now you've, to you've told me what man in general says or thinks or believes. Now, what specifically do you, my disciples, say? Who do you say that I am? We know the blessed response of Peter. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus rejoiced in that. And we know the response. You're blessed, Simon Barjona. You are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. That which is found below the natural man, any means of the natural man. You did not get this revelation by the means of the natural senses, by the natural man, flesh and blood. 
No, nothing of the ability of man made this known to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The natural mind, the natural man, has no light of God whatsoever. Requires a miracle of God. Requires a miracle of God. All right? So we take them, we take the scriptures with a natural mind, a carnal mind that has no light at all, and we try to apply them to a natural man below. The natural mind has no light. Now, I want to give an example. In fact, I'll mark this as example. An example. A very, uh, I believe, a very clear example right here. Example. What is, or what purpose does my passport serve? Think about it, a passport. What purpose does my passport serve? I actually looked it up uh, in a dictionary, the Webster's uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary that I downloaded on my uh, my iPad here. <clears throat> and basically, a passport, my passport, it allows entrance into countries. And, but it allows entrance into countries because it is, and here's, I'm quoting this, a document of identification. My passport identifies who, listen, who I am. It identifies me. No one else, no one else, no one else can take my passport and apply it to themselves. No, that's not the way it works. That would be called, uh, gosh, what's the word? Uh, Fraud? Um, I know there's another word out there that I can't think of, but uh, that would be a fake, a fake. Uh, representation of the passport. My passport, my passport identifies me. All right. Now, can I use, I'm going to go on with this example. Can I use this document of identification to better myself, to improve myself? Do you see how ridiculous that thought is when we're considering a passport. I mean, I pick up a, I pick up my passport, and can I use that document of of identification that identifies me to better myself or to improve myself? No, that's ridiculous. Here's another statement: Can I use this document of identification to predict the future? Well, that's absurd. <laughs> Yes, it is. Quite so. This is just an example. Come on. Going on. Can I use this document of identification to apply principles to myself? As in the following. Um, How about uh, financial principles? I mean... Remember, my example, my passport. Can I use my passport, which is a document of identification, can I use that for financial principles? Do you see how ludicrous that is? Even the statement coming out of my mouth? 
course not. Or can I use it, my passport, for to apply for my health benefit, health-wise? Like what I should eat, what I shouldn't eat, what will make me healthy, what will not make me healthy? Do you see how ridiculous this is going? How it gets? Or can I use this document of identification to better my social status? <clears throat> that is how ridiculous it is to take the scriptures that testify singularly of one and take those scriptures to try to apply it to something less. Now, that's just an example. But an example that becomes very clear when we look at our example of a passport, a document of identification. So that's just a natural example. But see, the scriptures are, they are the testimony of Jesus Christ. Which testimony is designed and purposed of God to bring the heart direct and bring the heart under the person of Christ himself. First, at the moment of new birth, for reality, Christ himself to be present in the soul. Then, for the knowledge of the new birth, the light of the life who is present. This, my brothers and sisters, requires, requires a miracle of God, nothing less. <clears throat> All right. No, I had concerning the scriptures, I, um, I made this statement. Uh, we take the things of God and we waste, waste them like the prodigal son. <laughs> when you think of, when you think about that example, and I'm just using it like in a generic way in a sense, everything, we, we think of the prodigal son, oh man, he wasted everything that his father gave him all the things that his father gave him. But see, where were they wasted? They weren't wasted in the father's house, no. They were wasted in another country, in a far away country, in a far away land. That's where they were wasted. That's where they were, listen to what I say, misapplied. Everything that was given to the son was misapplied in a different country, in a different land. Nothing, listen, nothing is misapplied in the father's house, brothers and sisters. Nothing. Everything of God, and I'll say it this way because I've said it this way several times, if the thing, T-H-I-N-G, is of God, it is without doubt 
purposed and designed of God to direct and bring under the person of Christ Jesus, his son. So if we see a miracle, well, Jesus is not the means to a miracle. Jesus is not the means to a healing. Jesus is not the means to a fill in the blank. No, no, no. The miracle, the healing, the sign, the wonder, the word, the understanding, the knowledge, whatever is the means for the heart to be directed and come unto Christ Jesus the Son. Remember, in the Father's house, nothing, nothing is misapplied. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is the Lord. To him belongs everything. Nothing is misapplied in the Father's house. <clears throat> yes, and I, I actually said this just a, a little bit ago. Um, the scriptures actually earlier in the the lesson, the scriptures are not, they are not important, or how shall I say it? The importance of the scriptures, the Old Testament, is not, is not, or I'll just say it this way, the scriptures do not show us how to live. That's not what they do. They are not for behavior modification. And I, I may have mentioned that before, but you have to forgive me. If you see my notes, that's where I said it, right there. You see that? Right there. <laughs> it's easy to get lost with my notes are everywhere, uh, <clears throat> or my statements in my notes are everywhere. The scriptures are not to show us how to live. Once again, they are not for our behavior modification. Behavior modification is all found here on the earth, and it is all, always, behavior modification is always applied to the first man, Adam. Especially for for believers, with behavior modification, it is trying to make the first man, Adam, look like, behave like, sound like, be like Jesus. Now, this is just a basic diagram I have, but the first man, Adam, is nothing like Christ. No. Zero. If he had been, God would have been satisfied with the first man. He wasn't. No, they've all gone astray. No. Uh, the, the The whole entirety of the intent of their mind is evil. Completely evil. Nothing like my son. No good in the first man whatsoever. (laughs) All right. Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. You know the passage, you know the verse. The scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ, 
And in the Gospels during that time, we know that the Jews were in expectation. They were in hope of a Messiah. Which, when Jesus showed up, he did not meet their expectation. They had envisioned him not the way he came. Therefore, he received him not. At the, at the time of the Gospels, they wanted a triumphant Messiah that would triumph, triumph over their natural enemies, specifically the Romans, because they were in bondage to the Romans. They were under the jurisdiction of the Romans. So they were looking for a liberator, the Messiah, to rid them of this bondage, uh, to liberate them from their enemies. They were, in fact, looking for a King Solomon. And King Solomon is a type of Christ in the Scriptures. Because what they were looking for was a never-ending reign, a never-ending rule, an everlasting kingdom, a glorified, exalted Son of God, we got a note to read this, <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and read it. This is 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, chapter 7, starting with verse 12 through verse 16. And this is this is where where uh, the passage of a son of God being the Messiah is one of the passages I should say is used, if not the main passage. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. This is the Lord speaking to David when David had it in his heart to build a house for God, for the Lord. And the Lord says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. All right. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When the Lord speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build my house Build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There you go. Everlasting kingdom. I will be, and I think you can see this in Daniel as well, in the book of Daniel. It goes on, verse 14. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. So God's mercy shall never depart from his son, the Messiah, the Christ. Verse uh, 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be established before, excuse me, established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all his vision, so Nathan spoke to David. And see, this is concerning Solomon, the risen son. You can look at the testimony of it found in, in Samuel and found in the Chronicles. I am risen up in the place of my father. The risen son. They were looking for the exalted Son, the risen, glorified Son of God, whom testimony, excuse me, whom Solomon is a testimony of, Jesus, specifically Jesus himself. All right? But see, Jesus comes, God sends his 
only begotten son, who is the Messiah, who is the Christ, not as Solomon testifies of, but as David testifies of, because David was a man of blood. Here is Jesus, and here is the cross. Completely triumphant over all powers and principalities, making an open spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross, in his very own death. Well, the Jews of that time were like, well, how can the Messiah die? It's impossible. He can't die. His kingdom will be forever, an everlasting kingdom. How then can the Messiah die? Do you see the conflict that went on in their hearts? The very same conflict, actually, that probably went on in the heart of Saul of Tarsus. He he could accept a ruling and reigning and triumphant Messiah, but not a suffering servant. No, no, no. Not one that would humble himself, making himself obedient even unto death, that is the death of the cross. No, he wouldn't accept that. No, he could not accept such a Messiah. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. No, 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 no. That can't be the Messiah. But we know, brothers and sisters, because we've either heard it, learned it, been taught it, and hopefully we know this by God the Father himself revealing in our heart who Christ Jesus truly is. The seed had to fall into the ground and die. It had to. Jesus Jesus spelled it out clearly. The testimony we find with Abraham and Isaac. The mount that was three days journey. The mount of three days journey. Three days Death, burial, resurrection, three days, the cross. Isaac carries the wood. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, who you love. Offer him up unto me as a burnt sacrifice. The father offering up his only son that he loved. Isaac died in the heart of Abraham. Now we know that uh, after Isaac was bound and he was bound willfully, he did not resist. He opened not his mouth. There was one time uh, when he asks his father, Father, the wood, the fire, the the altar, everything's in place, but where's the where's the sacrifice? And then his father says, My son, God Himself will provide Himself. A lamb. The son wholeheartedly believes the word of his father. And without resistance, allows himself to be bound. From that moment onward, he opens not his mouth. Beautiful testimony of Jesus. Beautiful testimony of Jesus. Right there, the son of the father dies. Yes. In testimony, Abraham raised the knife, ready to carry out the action, which action had already been solidified in his heart. In Abraham's heart, his son had already died. So fulfilling the action, carrying out the action, hey, 
That's no, that, that part is no big deal. He already came to terms with it in his own heart. And we know the angel stops him. Abraham, uh, put down your knife. And he looked behind him and saw a ram caught in the thicket. A ram's horns caught in the thicket, the crown of thorns. He offered the ram up instead. Abraham confesses in the mount of the Lord, it is provided. In the mount of the Lord, God himself provides himself a lamb. Therefore, Abraham, knowing yet once again, that which God desires, that which God requires, God and God alone must be the doer of it. God and God alone must realize it. Now, with, with that example that I just gave in the testimony, in the scriptures, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ, with that example, I know that to whatever degree we all agree with this, we all agree, yes, that that is a testimony of Jesus, because we've either read it, we've either learned it, we've either heard it from someone else, we've either uh, been taught it, but here's my question. How do we know this? Has it actually been by our natural ability, or has it been a miracle of God? God the Father himself revealing his Son in the testimony, the light of the testimony, showing his Son in the testimony. Once again, which light, which testimony is designed of God to direct and bring our heart unto the person himself, Christ Jesus himself, the true light of the world. Jesus, in John chapter 5, verses 46 through 47, speaking to the Jews, he basically says this, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. At the time, based upon Jesus' own statement, his very own words, Based upon that, the Jews really didn't believe Moses. Moses, which is the law. And I say that because we just looked at a passage at a beautiful testimony of a father offering up his only son whom he loves, offering him up as a burnt offering. And yet Jesus, who is the true Son of God, the one, this is is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, the confession, the heavenly confession of the Father regarding His Son at the baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration. This testimony declares this one. This testimony speaks of, is a type of this one. 
and it's found in the scriptures. It is found in the law. It is found in Moses. I just we just read it. It's in the law. It's in Gen. It's actually in Genesis. Genesis, the first five books of the law, are considered the books of Moses. Found in Moses, the Pentateuch. What Moses wrote down, and Jesus says, "Had you believed Moses, you would believe me, because Moses wrote of me." Let's go ahead and just read the passage. It's always better when we read the passage anyway. This is John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. Verse 46, For if you believed Moses, that is the law, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Now, these are not my words. This is our Lord's words himself. This is what Jesus said. So when we read, once again, remember, think, think of the example that I gave. I know it's a carnal example. I know it's a natural example. My passport. Think about that. So when we read the first five books of the scriptures, which are the Pentateuch, which we call the law, when we read the first five books, what are we getting out of it? Are we truly seeing that they, that they identify the Son of God, the Messiah, the beloved of the Father, the Son of the Blessed? Or are we taking what's written in the law and applying it, how did I say this? Using it, this document of identification, to better ourselves, to improve ourselves, and the self we have in view, my brothers and sisters, is that, listen, which is not our life. Every single born-again believer has one life. Everyone who is born again has the same life. That life is Christ. We don't have two lives. No, our life needs no modification whatsoever. No behavior modification. No improvement. No. If we believe that, if we think that, we just haven't seen our life. Christ needs no improvement. He needs no extreme makeover. He is perfect in every way. He is lovely in any way, every way. He is fully and completely accepted of his Father without having done anything. Jesus does not have to do anything to be who he is. When we have a thought that we need to, listen, measure up, it is because we have the wrong man in view. We're thinking we have a life. We are thinking we have a life apart from him who is the only life we have. Why do we do this? 
Our heart submitted unto the natural mind. Our heart submitted unto the mind of Adam, the Adamic mind, which in which mind, once again, is no light whatsoever. I, I made this statement during the Berea class. How was it? With the natural mind, there is no limit to the ignorance or imagination, imagination which abounds. In the natural mind, to the natural mind, with the natural mind, there is no limit to the imagination in which it abounds. There is no light. And yet, it's written and recorded in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, while walking in the face of Jesus Christ, walking in the light of his countenance, he declares, but we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit continues preparing the ground of our heart to direct our heart and bring our heart in knowledge unto where our soul has been brought in reality, the moment of new birth. Once again, the very first thing that God does in a creation is say, let there be light. I'll end with this question, and we can present this to the Lord, this question. Consider it. Meditate on it. Present it to the Lord. But here's the question. Do we believe the law and the prophets? And I base that question on what Jesus himself said. When he said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. My question once again, do we believe the law and the prophets? So I'll end with that statement. But my brothers and sisters, hopefully by now, after listening to <laughs> these lessons, hopefully we should be convinced of God, not of man, but of God, that with man it is completely impossible. Therefore, our hope must not rest in man's ability, our own ability, but the ability of one, God himself. Amen. Amen. Present all of this to the Holy Spirit, our true teacher, that he may take that which he desires to take, whatever he desires to take, to use it for God's own end, God's own purpose. Amen. We'll see you on our next lesson. The Lord bless. Amen.